All right, what's up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Just Grow It, the podcast. I'm your host, Big City Gardener. And today, I get to interview somebody who I think is super cool, one of my best friends. You hear me refer to her as best friend often on the internet. This is Flora Cosina. If you're on Instagram, this is B Hollerin. How are you doing today? Hey. So, would you mind, I guess, introducing yourself for everybody? Sure. So I'm Bee Hollerin. I have been working with edible flowers for the vast majority of my career. And I am Flora Cosina online. So I grow, harvest, and and prepare edible flowers in all manners. I sell them fresh. I sell them dried. I incorporate them into all sorts of fun things. Yeah. So right now I'm in Houston, Texas. So how were you introduced to edible flowers? Well, you know, I had some sort of instinctual connection from from my childhood. So my mother grew flowers. She was a spectacular flower gardener. So we had different beds all over the yard and we had quite a large yard. So she had specific rose gardens and, and irises. I think that's one of my favorite childhood memories actually is running out of the house. I couldn't wait to get out of bed and go outside and bury my face in a blooming iris. The smell was just intoxicating. But I knew somehow that some flowers were edible and some flowers were not. And like there, you know, I was pretty much on my own. I was the the last kid. I was way behind my siblings. And so I was left to my own devices for a large part of the day. And that was always spent outside, usually in the woods. But there was a particular bed on the side of the house that was one of my favorites. There was she, my mother had strawberries growing and lily of the valley, which was a spectacular garden aesthetically. And it also smelled incredible, but I knew I could eat the strawberries, but was never to touch the lily of the valley. And then, you know, I would eat wood sorrel or clovers. And, but so somehow I was in tune, I think, to that connection really early on. So I think that was where it started. Okay. Okay. So you've always been into gardening. Did your mother also grow like, you know, fruits? I know you just said strawberries, but did she have any vegetables or perennials out there? That was my dad's. That was my dad's realm. Uh, He had a spectacular vegetable garden and I'd go out there and help him. Yeah. Yeah. He had He did some really good vegetables, actually. In fact, to this day, my dad passed away a number of years ago. But when I smell a tomato plant, that's like my dad to me. That's like the essence of my father is the smell of a tomato plant. But my mother did, most of her garden actually was perennial, come to think of it. I never really thought that much about it. But yeah, the irises, she had not fruits per se. We did have uh, black walnut, but I don't remember. Our neighbors had grapes, which I would... (laughs) <laughs> I might have gone in there and taken a few bunches when I was young. <laughs> uh, how could you resist? That's what you're supposed yeah, to do. Mostly flowers and vegetables. Okay. I think so too. Okay. So that's amazing. Earlier you said you're in Houston now. Where were you before you were in yeah. Houston? I grew up on the East Coast okay. and then I moved up to Canada <laughs> uh, when I was 18. And I was there for the bulk of my adult life. I think at one point I started to get, I wanted to move the flowers into a new challenge for me. So being in Montreal, I was growing edible flowers, but it was very short season and they were, I was living in town, so it was on my rooftop. So limited space, limited capacity. And I really wanted more of a climate that 
could handle edible flowers. So I decided to try my luck in Spain. So I moved out there and the climate, in fact, is very similar where I am to Houston minus the humidity. Okay. So that for growing like lavender, roses, all the, you know, the herbs like rosemary and sage and thyme, it's just ideal for that. So I went out there and I planted tons of rosemary, roses, some citrus, I've got olive. And then I came to Houston to spend some time with my family. And I've had the luck of, of seeing my, uh, my nieces have their babies and spend time with them and introduce them to the garden the way I think it should be, you know, hands on, like right in there. So yeah, so I've gotten around a little bit. I spent a year in Mexico and always paying attention to the foliage and the flowers growing, what all the flora was and how it was growing and its natural environment. In fact, I'd never lived there, but I had a extended stay in Patagonia a few years back. And that for me was just a, oh my gosh, it was like a mind-blowing experience to see fuchsia in its native habitat and roses and lavender. And I don't associate roses and lavender with Patagonia. Uh, I do everywhere you looked, all of these plants were thriving and just in abundance. And uh, so that was, you know, I'm always looking for the next place to live and sort of uh, <laughs> set up shop. And Patagonia was like, wow, it's like heaven on earth. It was really spectacular. So out of all of the places you've been visited, lived, uh, which place would you say had the richest edible flower culture going on there? Wow, that's a hold a lot looking for the cultural and traditional applications of, of regional flowers. And it's kind of it's a special thing in each country. They use the you know, sometimes it's been lost a little bit. Like when I went to Thailand, when I first went to Southeast Asia and discovered, for me, butterfly pea blossoms, I stayed, I stayed with a family in, in Phuket, Thailand. And the husband was a restaurant critic and food journalist. And he was British and his wife was Thai, had a Thai family. And and she was a spectacular cook. I mean, the magic coming out of the kitchen. And when I first got there, I I asked her about the flowers that they use in in Thai cuisine, and she was like, "Oh yeah, we don't uh, we don't do that." <laughs> and I thought, really? There are flowers everywhere, <laughs> just everywhere, just in abundance, like spilling over things. And I thought, wow, what a shame! Like, there's just everything everywhere. So one day, you know, we're sitting there. She fixes spectacular food, and we're eating. It was great. The weather was beautiful. Her yard was gorgeous. And so she comes in one day and she says, uh, "You want to go to the market, the farmers market?" Well, of course I do. So we hop on the back of the motorcycle, and she drives me to this this market. I've never had a sensory experience to that degree. So we get there. It's all Thai. I'm the only uh, foreigner there. And and you kind of walk in and you know the experience when you're in a greenhouse where it's very loamy. So it's soft when you're walking and it muffles the sound. So there's just this really, there's humidity in the air. It's a very special environment and experience and definitely high on my list of, of uh, environments to be in. And it sort of had that that same kind of, of feel to it. And everybody has their booth that instead of like the tents, like we set up here, they have bamboo poles, and then they stretch across canvas or a tarp. And they're all different colors. So the light filter, and they're all low. So it's about six feet high. 
and the light filters through, casting the the color of that tarp onto the table. So you have this almost stained glass experience, but like in 3D. And everybody's got their their table set up with their goods, their freshly grown vegetables and fruits and, and flowers. So we go through and I'm like, oh, I see this big mound of butterfly peoples in this flat basket. And uh, I said, what about this? She goes, oh, I think it buys them, throws them in a bag, puts them on the bike. And then we see lotus blossoms. So what about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She grabs them, puts them in a bag, puts them on the micro- on the on the motorcycle. And then there was another one too, it's slipping my mind at the moment. So we would get it. It was phenomenal. Of course, the only time I did not have my phone on me to take pictures. The entire <laughs> so we go back to the house. I sit on the on the front porch with my son and and uh, our host's young daughter, and we're playing whatever. And it felt like two minutes had gone by, and she emerges with this big pitcher of iced something refresher and and it's brilliant blue you know with and i'm like oh my god what do we have so she pours it out i took so many pictures of this at this point i obviously had my phone and she brewed up butterfly pea blossom tea with pandan leaves and i was done i was like this is the best thing i've ever had in my life this is amazing so you know at the end of the trip the host came to me and he said you know i have to thank you because you have reconnected my wife to a part of her culture that she had all but forgotten about. Like she knows all these recipes. She knows what these flowers are for. She's familiar with them. She knows how to grow them. And she just had gone on and kind of forgotten about them. And and I think that's, to, to make a long story, come all the way back around to your question. I think that's happened in a lot of cultures. And it's interesting now to see that and I don't know whether this is COVID related or this is just things coming full circle or what, but people are looking for that little bit of extra pleasure, extra bit of joy, extra bit of beauty in their life. And edible flowers, they take you right there. And so they seem to be coming back. I see them in recipes, international recipes, no matter which ethnic cuisine I'm looking up, they seem to be popping up again. And in all applications for spice mixes, for savory foods, sweet foods, in cocktails, non-alcoholic drinks, they really seem to be coming back. So I don't know. I think, you know, where they have a climate to grow a lot of edible flowers, it's it's very rich in the culture yeah. or traditionally has been. But yeah, I you know, that was one of the things that opened my eyes to edible flowers. I was catering a lot of different ethnic cuisines on a regular basis. And I was focusing on the feast foods and celebratory foods and, you know, the things they'll pull out at a wedding or, you know, some big event. And every cuisine I went to, every country or region I went to, they had edible flowers in their feast foods. Okay. And that was a, that was so like revolutionary for me. I thought, yeah, to eat, just you know, locked it in tight. Okay. You were the first person to introduce me to the butterfly pea flower. So to hear the story about how, I guess you were kind of reintroduced to them is pretty cool. How long ago was that? That was the first I ever saw of them. That was the first I ever saw. I had no idea. Okay. And I have, I have a friend who's a who's a chef from Malaysia. And he, he was telling me it wasn't registering, like it wasn't taking it in. And he's like, yeah, we have this flower. And, you know, when we have special occasions, we, we cook the rice in it and it makes blue rice. And I would look at it and be like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like I can't wrap my head around this until I actually saw it 
in, you know, in Malaysia and in Thailand. And, and I thought that is just, that's spectacular. So I, he, it was normal to him. It was something he grew up with and, you know, they have it growing in their gardens and white ones as well. And really? yeah, so that was, that was the first I saw of it. And it, it's, it'll always be my favorite. It'll always be my flower crush. Yeah. I think it's crazy that so many different cultures already incorporate, like you said, these edible flowers into a lot of their dishes. And it seems like it's just now making its way uh, back to America. So it's cool to see because I see the things that you have produced, the food that you have made, the snacks with the flowers in them. And it's just amazing. It's really fun. It's an easy way to to elevate anything, I think. And I really think food should be pretty as well as as delicious and good for you. So how do you come up with your recipes whenever you're incorporating the edible flowers into things? That's a good question. Sometimes I'm in the garden, like I go to the garden every morning and I kind of take that walk through and see things and kind of check out what's happening. And many times there's something that just is newly blooming or blooming and, you know, it just profusion that captures my eye and I get inspired and want to do something with it. And then honestly, I go to what I have on hand. So I'm a, I'm a pretty lazy cook and I don't want to go to great lengths. So I want to see what I have in the fridge already and, and, you know, taste things and go along and see what marries well and go from there. Okay. Okay. So what are some, besides butterfly pea flower, what are some of your favorite edible flowers? It's <laughs> such a mean question. Um, I, I I don't think I've ever met an edible flower that I don't like. Okay. So, you know, I could go on for a really long time. Some of my favorites that spring to mind, I absolutely love begonia blossoms. Begonia, okay. So begonia for me is such an exciting flavor and it's a really fun one to to start people off on like it's a good beginner flower because it's it's very bright and citrusy and it's juicy and it it surprises people they wouldn't expect it to taste like that and when i have kids who are interested in trying edible flowers i often give them begonia and tell them that this is the original sour patch kid uh, and that that generally goes over really well it works so begonias are great and they're easy to incorporate into salads and things anything where you want a pop of of uh, brightness stock blossoms are also very high on my list and they have a great mouthfeel and it's tender it's toothy uh, the flavor is very delicate and almost clove-like uh, they go well with both savory and sweet foods and they're just pretty. pineapple sage is a big one. It's so delicious. Bergamot, not bergamot, they, well, bergamot, the um, bee balm. Yeah, like I said, I've not met one I don't like. <laughs> Pansies, obviously, they're just the happiest little faces in the garden, so they're always really fun to grow. In fact, the pansies were the only flowers that lived through our uh, heavy freeze this past mm. winter, and I pulled off the, the freeze cloth, and I had just hundreds of, of smiling faces <laughs> looking up at me, and it was kind of the best feeling when everything else had melted and was just so grim. But yeah, I mean, obviously roses are fantastic. So fragrant, so floral, a bit more testy in the garden, but they've performed well for me. Okay. I was going to ask what, uh, which edible flowers do you not like growing? But it sounds like if it's an edible flower, you love to grow it or you will grow it. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. I have yet to have real success with uh, chamomile. I've had it grow, but I really want it to to naturalize and, you know, fill in. And that just hasn't really taken for whatever reason. So I'm not losing hope. I'm, I'm still working on it. I've got seeds going right now. Yeah, mine, I try to plant a bed every year, but it never makes it. And I don't know why. Huh. Okay. So it's not only me. No, <laughs> no, no. And I even, I even pick different beds around my garden to try to yeah. get it to naturalize. I wonder if the affects it. I think, I wonder if it's a, if it like layer air. I think so. Yeah. I've done the same. I actually, when I plant something for the first time, I do that regularly. I plant it all around and see which conditions it likes best. Okay. So you said every day you take a walk in the garden. What does your garden look like? Let's describe your garden because I want to see it. I'm curious what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's a backyard garden. So there's a big pool in the middle and there are beds that wrap right around the pool. Then there are beds all the way around the, the perimeter of the yard. It's about a half acre, I think. And I've got raised beds on one side and that's, uh, there are three main raised beds. Two of them are vegetable and one of them uh, is an herb spiral. So I've got my lavender and rosemary on the top of that so that they don't ever have their, their roots stuck in the water. And I've got some beds on the side of the house, long, low beds for things that I want to have sort of a a simpler harvesting system for because the beds in the back uh, that wrap around the pool and in the raised beds around the perimeter of the yard, they're mixed with things. So there's fruit trees and there's a couple non-edibles in there, but honestly not much, but they're all mixed. So it's, it's for the aesthetics. So it's not really farm-like. So I've got some, I've got long beds. I've got about a, a 30 foot stretch of narrow low beds that I'll plant flowers that I specifically want to harvest to dry or know that I'm going to sell. It just simplifies things because they're grant they're they're planted on mass. But yeah, it's like it's it's a big mess. It's like a bunch of stuff growing everywhere. Yeah. Um, I really love it. I got passion fruit vines that are <laughs> tangled over trellises and archways and it's great. There's so much life back there. Yeah, that's a real garden. When everything is not perfectly manicured, when it's just growing the way it should be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's big banana trees and papaya trees. Uh, I caught a <laughs> an unexpected mango growing in the compost pile. Uh, yes. So I planted that up and we'll yes. see what happens with that one. Yes. Um, yeah, there's, you know, pear and avocado and uh, fig. And uh, yeah, it's a... It's crazy. It's wild. It's wild back there. Butterflies and bees and yes. hummingbirds. It's just a, it's a beautiful it's, habitat. It's my favorite place to be. I want to see it in real life. Yeah. Yeah. It's certified wildlife habitat too. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Have a pool day with the kids. <laughs> um, That sounds great. What are some lesser known edible flowers? Yeah. You know, one of my all time favorite that didn't pop to mind when you asked me is hosta. Hosta is, you know... It's not, I don't see it widely grown in these parts, but it does just fine here. You know, if yeah, shade areas, always great to have something beautiful. And the flowers are absolutely delicious. They are so good. Like a lot of edible flowers, you want to pick the petals and eat them. This one, you put the whole flower in your mouth. It's got a beautiful mouthfeel. It's tender and the flavor is spectacular. And I've obviously done an enormous amount of research into edible flowers over the past 20 years. And, and I never saw it listed in the edible flower lists that you'd find in, in, uh, you know, university papers and such. And, and I didn't 
know it was edible until I did a deep dive into Japanese cuisine and edible flowers in their culture. And that is one of them that they use. And so I tasted it. We always have had hosta growing and wow, man, my mind was blown. So yeah, eat hosta flowers. I think there's a lot of flowers around that people have in their gardens for an ornamental feature that they don't realize are edible as well, like pentas, the starflower, terrainias. Those are great hot weather flowers. They love the the Houston heat and sun and humidity and and they're edible. Not necessarily the most delicious, but <laughs> but they're they're good and they're they've got a nice mouthfeel. They're beautiful in salads and, and on soups and icicles ice cubes or popsicles. You know, the the first thing that people go to when they think of edible flowers is nasturtium. Um, That's the the first thing I get. And then if they know a little bit more or from different cultures or they have experience in different cuisines, you know, they'll remember roses and, but man, there's so many. That is true. That is true. How did you get all of your knowledge about edible flowers? And then why edible flowers also? I'm curious. When I started using edible flowers, that's when I had I had a, a regular catering job that I was doing every month. And I did that for a couple of years. And it was for a big telecommunications company. And it was for a group of, of engineers, about 160 to 185. And it was a lunch. And the only they had state this was in their heyday, and they had state of the art kitchens in the in the complex. And, and the only way they could justify outsourcing the food is if it was something that the in-house kitchens couldn't couldn't do. So they decided they were going to do cultural events. So they came to me and, you know, we did uh, different, we did Mexican and Japanese. And, and, and like I said, it was a cultural thing. So I was getting into the feast foods and the things that I felt were most accurately representative of that demographic. And so I would spend a couple of weeks researching a particular culture or region uh, or country. And so I would bring music and textiles. I would find the little pocket of people inevitably somewhere in Montreal that, that were of that group and meet the people, talk to them, get stories, sort of fill out my knowledge about that area. And then I would bring it all into the food and we would have this giant conference table. Just, it was an all you could eat buffet. So it was an abundance, like an insane quantity of food. And, and it was just like that, you know, things spilling out of containers. Great. It was really fun. It was a madhouse, but really fun. And, and so I always had edible flowers in there and there was the security guard. This is such a fun experience, I swear. Um, I would come home thinking, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Like, this is a riot. <laughs> this is so much fun. So there's a security guard there and I would I'd bring Tupperware for him and he'd say, you know, I think these guys, predominantly men, and he said, I think these guys don't eat all week because the event was always a Friday. He said, they know you're coming. They don't eat. They are at that door waiting for the moment that it opens <laughs> with... Not kidding, dude. It was like damn near hostility. They're like pent up. Like, go and get in there and eat. And it was just like you open the doors and the floodgates were open. And so they would spill in. And there was this radical transformation in their demeanor. Ah, they just went from, you know, this pent up 
whatever it was to soften. They were like, oh, whoa. And, you know, they would take things and they were present. They were more, they were just there. They were into it. They would see it. They would stop. They would talk to the person on either side of them about what this was and what that was. And they were curious and they'd come talk to me. And there was always someone from that culture there too, which was super like very <laughs> stressful and lots of pressure for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to compare me to like their mom's cooking <laughs> or something. I'm like, I don't want that kind of pressure. But they would always come over and they're like, this was amazing. Like, I forgot about this or this kulfi was the, the way my aunt used to make it. Or it was, it was a beautiful experience all the way around. But this transformation was impactful for me. And to watch that happen, you know, the first couple of times, you're like, that's really cool. That's interesting. I, I like the way that they, they softened and they ate with intention and they were just more, uh, more aware of what they were eating and the experience of it all. And I thought that's a cool thing, but that must be the exception. And then the next month it was the same thing. And then I do another catering job and it's the same thing. And I cook for some friends and it's the same thing. And, and it just became clear to me that edible flowers matter. Like they, they make an impact. And a lot of times the people or the groups I was catering for were in the city, the vast majority of the time. And when you're in the city, you know, it's, it's typical that you're hustling. It's the nine to five, you're in the grind, you know, you got to come home, you got the kids, you got to do things, you're rushing. It's, you know, you got all these things to do. And then you're not necessarily taking a minute to be present or connect or be grateful or see something and really take it all in. And it makes a difference in the quality of your life. And, you know, being in the city, you don't necessarily, the opportunity to connect with nature doesn't necessarily come right to your plate. So, you know, people do it because, you know, they're into biking or mountain climbing or whatever it is they do. But the rest of them, if it doesn't come to you, you kind of don't recognize it's missing. So edible flowers do that and they come right to you. That's... They come right to you and you make that connection. You're like, wow, I like this. This feels good. It makes sense. It resonates. And that was it. I couldn't stop then. I was like, this is, this is my thing. Okay. I love it. I love it. And I agree with everything you just said about people being in the city and sometimes not connecting to nature. Or connecting, and maybe even more than nature, just deconnecting from every stressful situation they have going on in life, and then kind of just letting it all go and connecting to the rest of the world and the rest of life and nature and things growing. Yeah, I agree. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's why I, or one reason why I enjoy gardening so much. That's kind of my way to just, I don't know, disconnect from anything and everything that's going on. Yeah, me too. So I am lucky enough to go to the farmer's markets where you sell some of your products, right? And I've always wondered, you have these, um, I don't know if I'm going to say what, what it is or call it the proper name, but you'll have the mason jars and they're filled with different flowers and even some fruit. Mm -hmm. And then the you just, kit. the cocktail kit, that's the words I was looking for. How do you come up with your flavor blends for those cocktail kits? Like, how do you know what goes so well together? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, a lot of experience from cooking for so many years with how to come. I just, I go through a million cocktail recipes. It's a similar 
process that I have with food recipes. Like I look for inspiration. I look for combinations that people have already done. And then I sort of, there's always something that clicks. I'm like, oh, those would be perfect with that. Like, you know, it's pulling together experiences that I've had with inspiration that I find online or in cookbooks. And then my family is really wonderful at being taste testers. And uh, so I have, it looks like Breaking Bad in the bar. Um, <laughs> there's probably big jars of kombucha. There's all sorts of alcohols and tinctures and essences and bitters and every, like, it's a mad scientist's bar. And so I get, I have, I work with, well, I try all of the, all the, the main alcohols with each of the combinations through the process. So I'll put the fruit, the flour, the spices, the bitters, whatever, and then into a couple different mason jars. And then I'll do one with vodka, one with gin, one with bourbon, and one with tequila. And we let it infuse for a couple hours or overnight, and then everybody tastes it. And then I start to modify them. So I can split them, each one into a couple different jars, and then try different flowers or different herbs to to bring out the flavor more and round it out and complete it. So it's a lot of process and error, and it, it's a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun, fun. Family's good. They're really good. They're very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun night or a fun few days. Yep. Yeah, they're not. They're definitely not complaining. I, I don't think they've uh, they've been tipsy pretty much since COVID began. <laughs> so, do you ever think about making a cookbook or writing a cookbook? I should say. Oh man, yes, yes, one hundred percent. And I am tinkering with that now. It's a uh, the big unknown, so I'm not quite sure how to go about it. But I am getting everything down on paper, and uh, I want to do that so bad. I want that so bad. Yeah, I was, like I said, I follow you on Instagram, so I've seen some of the amazing food that you make. And if you had it in a book, I'd buy the book so that I could try to recreate it at home. Nice, thank you. Yeah. All right. So let's hit. Let's find a way to. Let's find a way to get you a book. Maybe somebody listening, they can they can do that. Okay. I would be so grateful. I don't know how, but we're gonna put that out into the universe. Put that energy out there and do see it. what comes back. Yeah. All right. So do you find yourself selling a lot of the fresh flowers? Yeah. You know, I that was never something that I anticipated doing here. And people would find me through Instagram and reach out. And so that has become a big part of my, my life right now. So restaurants and, and bakers, bartenders, it's it's really taken off. And, you know, I grow outdoors and you know how temperamental Houston can be. <laughs> and sometimes I'm just terrified. I'm like, can I meet the demand? Like it's, you know, but it's funny because I look out and it's a pretty good growing space. And I'm like, God, doesn't look like there's any flowers growing. And then you go harvest. And three hours later, you're like, whoa, uh, there's a lot of flowers growing. <laughs> like, I've got this massive quantity. But that's what I spend most of my day doing is harvesting. Yeah. So it's great because it forces me to do all the the daily maintenance that otherwise I would replace with something else that's that's a little more um, I don't know exciting fun sexy something but it forces me to do that so the plants really grow well because they're being tended and deadheaded regularly you know like I'm I'm picking those flowers so it creates just enough stress that the plants produce more and get a really nice body get really bushy and full and 
Yeah, so it it definitely pays off to be out there doing that regularly. And and the fresh flowers, it's a little bit stressful because they're they're delicate and they're fragile and they can't handle temperature fluctuation once they're picked. But but so far, it's been going really well. So do you have what advice would you give to somebody who is looking to get started growing edible flowers? And then also, which flowers would you recommend people start with? (laughs) You know, <laughs> straight straight to it. Um, edible flowers are easy. They're not something to be intimidated by. You know, you hear all the growers when they are asked how to get people started growing for the first time. They say herbs. Well, most edible flowers are as easy as herbs to grow. They're very similar. Pansies, obviously, it depends on your climate and your zone. But um, it's easy to, to go to own and ask them what the easiest ones would be. Maybe start from starts rather than seeds. Seeds, you know, pose their own challenges, but are, you know, once you have a little bit of confidence, it's the most rewarding, I find, to grow from seed. Pansies are so easy and all herb blossoms are edible. So if you're growing herbs, you're already growing edible flowers. Yeah, just start, grow it, just get in there, it. just start it. Like, you know, I've heard you say this before, like if it doesn't work the first time, I ain't no big deal. Like start again. Like it's not, you know, you have a problem with growing chamomile. I have a problem with chamomile and we're in the garden all the time. So, you know, nothing's perfect. This is what it's about. So it's, it's not failing. It's just uh, learning the specifics about it and what you need to do, soil, sun, water, and then you apply it and keep doing it. That's the truth. Do you find any difference in yield or how difficult it is to take care of the plants growing in different settings? So in-ground beds, raised beds or containers? Yeah, I do. Raised beds, in my experience, like I don't uh, add any chemicals or, or pesticides, and that sort of thing. So raised beds seem to be less likely to be ravaged by pests. Also because of the Houston humidity, the rainfall and the clay soil, even though I amend the soil with compost and it's pretty decent now that it still holds so much humidity down there. I have a lot of plants that just kind of melt away um, when they're in the ground directly. Don't have that problem so much in the raised beds. Yeah, it's kind of a, you know, some things like it, like the butterfly pea, I think it grows better directly planted in the soil here. And it is more likely to survive any colder temps that it generally doesn't like very much if it's in the ground. Yeah, I like both. I like to have a combination of both. You know, the raised beds are easier in terms of just the physical demands that gardening puts on the body. I have some that are built vertically on the fence, and those are definitely my favorite beds. They're shallow, eight feet long, and two-tiered, and they're just so accessible. Like, it's great for tender greens and herbs, and, and I do a lot of propagation from cuttings in there, too. It's just, it's, I think, physically the most accessible of the beds. Dope. I'm just envisioning your garden right now, and you have flowers everywhere. Yeah, like I said, one day, I, w- I would really love to see it. And... <laughs> I want to say thank you for introducing me to the butterfly pea flowers because I planted some and now like they have taken over my yard. I have them everywhere. The seeds fall off the vines and I have starts popping up everywhere. So thank you. (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) See, I don't have the problem of starts everywhere because I harvest all the flowers. I have very few seed pods at the end of the season and it's a real, it's a battle. So I end up getting the seeds from the flowers that I haven't seen that are, you know, tucked in the trellis somewhere okay. or under a couple layers of leaves. Yeah. 
Well, so I don't have, I certainly won't have as many seeds as you do. If you ever need seeds, you know, I, I think I still have 6,000 seeds. Oh, <laughs> how do you count your seeds? By hand. You really? Yeah. Wow. I got, I, yes. That's an afternoon. It, it, That's whew. a whole Netflix series right there. It was, it was a few days because I started to get annoyed and bothered by doing it. I would separate them by the size and then the color and then. It just took a while to do, and it takes a while to do. I wish there was an easier way to do it, but I can't. You could have made a game with the kid. See, I wanted to, and I tried, but they're mixing up the black seeds with the brown seeds and the big seeds with the small <laughs> seeds, and then I have to go back and redo yeah, it. So, yeah, <laughs> I just I had to tell him to stop. All right, so. I want to once again thank you, best friend, for coming on the show and having this conversation with me and talking edible flowers. I'm very thankful, very grateful. As am I. That was really fun. Thank you. Can you tell everybody how they can find you? Uh, you know, your Instagram, your email, all that good stuff. Yeah, totally. Flora Cosina across social media. So it's Flora Cosina, F L O R A C O C I N A. It's Flower Kitchen in Spanish. Figure that sort of embodied what I do really clearly, straightforward. It's Flora Casina on Instagram, floracasina.com for my website, and uh, Flora Casina on Twitter, which I don't do much on, but um, <laughs> I'm there. Every once in a while, I pop up. Yeah, I don't do much on Twitter either, but I think when we finish this episode, I'm going to go tweet something. There you <laughs> Maybe I'll do the same. <laughs> All right, so... Everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just Grow It. That's it. I'm gone. Thank you very much, best friend. Just grow it. Just grow it. Eat more flowers. Eat flowers. Mm -hmm. Be kind. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview Send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it.